minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside our two-bedroom apartment in downtown Baltimore, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen here with you as always. Brendan, butter up the O's. You tried they're on a roll. Because they're on a roll, Brendan. I did, with great success on our Twitter account. With great success? Great success. People loved it. Now, whether that was because of the team's performance. I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say people generally enjoy my sense of humor and and, and the, the flair, if you will, that I bring to this job, Brendan. Sure. I mean, whatever whatever you need to tell yourself. Uh, the Orioles are the best team in baseball in the month of in June. The month if you of don't, June. Look, like any, don't yeah. look at anything else and just look at the last two games. And that's about it. That's all we need to look at. Yeah. I'm convinced. There were some people that were saying, all right, hold on. They're not on a roll just yet. They've won two games. And I said... That's good enough for me. And that's sarcasm. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, look. They snapped their 14-game losing streak. That was the monkey off their backs. Yep. They said that they had a team meeting of sorts to get everything... Get everybody on the same mindset. Not like a, a bad team meeting. Not like a close-the-door, players-only team meeting because things are going downhill. It was more like a zen session. Yeah. Um, I'm imagining the scene from The Natural where they say losing is a disease, you know, when they, they try to... That's probably exactly how it went. I, I imagine so. Well, there was the whole thing about zen Trey Mancini, right? That Jim Palmer was talking about where and he <laughs> was like, Trey Mancini... Has been that he made it sound like he was like meditating between innings, mm-hmm. or Trey Mancini would go back to the dugout and just take like a fifteen-minute meditation session and then go back out. And I think that lasted about five minutes until Trey Mancini. Well, yeah, I mean Trey, uh, it was during the road trip. I can't remember which game, but yeah. it was it was Trey and Kevin, or it was, Trey, it was Jim Palmer and Kevin Brown calling the game, and uh, they. Trey popped out, I think, and uh, Kevin said he's probably pretty upset at himself after that. And Jim said, well, you know, that's old Trey Mancini. That's that's the Trey Mancini before reading the books about, you know, improving your mental mindset during state of competition. And and he's probably going to take this and go back to the dugout and, and learn from it. And <laughs> it cuts to the camera and Trey immediately kicks like <laughs> a water cooler in the dugout. And they go, OK, well, never mind. Um that's a, it's still old Trey Mancini. <laughs> Takes a while for the books to settle in. Uh, Got to process those books after you read them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Trey doesn't have too much to be upset about right now because of how good he has been. Right. But, um, you know, he's always hard on himself. So right. the guy just wills himself to another level every single time he plays. Yeah, pretty much. Well, it, it's going well so far, at least it in is. the month of June. And it's, it's going incredibly well for the minor leagues, and we're going to talk more about that in just a bit. The top performers... Through the first month, it has been almost exactly a month since the minor league season began. We're also going to have Paul Fritchner, who is one of the voices of the Bowie Bay Sox, on in just a bit to talk about their hot start and some of their top performers. But, Brendan, after that win, I know it's it's snapping a 14-game losing streak uh, the other night. I know it's not, you know, a great win in terms of you know, history, and it's just a monkey-off-your-back type win. Yeah. But still, 
it the team obviously was pretty excited after it. The team just felt very relieved. Trey Mancini said the music was bumping after that one. Uh, Brandon Hyde obviously felt a, a great sense of relief after that one. And I know, look, Brandon Hyde has been here for only, this is his third season now, so he's only two months into his third season, and he's been tasked with taking over a rebuild, and he knows what he's in for. Haven't been too many great moments. We've talked about it before in this podcast. There have not been too many feel-good wins. This is probably up there with one of the better feel-good wins of Brandon Hyde's tenure. I'd say so. It, just the fact that it snapped such a long losing streak, it almost felt like when Chris Davis snapped his hitless streak after a while, it was just a fun thing because obviously he, he had been struggling for a bit and the Orioles were the same way. I mean, losers of 14 straight and you finally, like you said, get that monkey off your back and get a win. Bruce Zimmerman pitches really, really well. It was just, it, it was nice to get back to that winning feeling after going so long without it. And it was a f- it was fun. I mean, it's not yeah. fun to lose games. Right. Um, and it was fun watching uh, Cedric Mullins make that incredible catch in center and Bruce Zimmerman's fired up and he gets out of that jam and he's turning back to the dugout and screaming and the hometown kid gets his first win at Oreo Park Camden Yards. Just, it had a lot of good moments and there have not been, like we said, too many great feel-good wins. The ones that come to mind in Brandon Hyde's tenure and and in the Mike Elias era, you think of Hyde's first win where they took him uh, in in the locker room. They dumped water and all kinds of stuff on him at Yankee stadium. Uh, You think of Rio Ruiz's walk off against the Astros. Um, You think of the back-to-back blowouts against Cleveland. So that's more two wins than one back in 2019. You think of the, the crazy Austin Hayes inside the park, no hitter and no hitter inside the park home run. (laughs) Against the Phillies in the yeah. extra inning game in 2020. Not too many, but those those are a couple that come to mind. Did I, did I miss any, Brendan? Um, I don't think so. I'm trying to... There's... When they beat the Nationals yeah. last year, blowing out the defending champs. Yeah, the, the first game of that series. Yeah. Like you said, have not been a ton of the most exciting wins in the world, and obviously the Orioles still a, a bit away from that exciting playoff win, but... The exciting wins in the regular season are exciting nonetheless. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then they get back-to-back wins because baseball's strange like that. Yeah. And they win both games by three runs. And and the big hit in yesterday's game, Ryan Mountcastle's three-run homer, you know, that's what Brandon Hyde said after the game. That's the hit that we've been missing. And he's right. It's it's It feels like they just have not been able to get the offense and the pitching on the same page at the same time. And it has come together, fortunately, the past couple games, and just getting that insurance three-run homer, it, you know, because you just know that three runs is probably not going to be enough for them to win a game. Right. And, you know, it, it helps out your bullpen, gives them a little bit of breathing room, and allows Brandon Hyde. And then he got a great performance from Tyler Wells. Too. Yeah, well, that's just the way it goes when you're in a bad stretch. When you're hitting well, you're pitching even worse. Yeah. And when you're pitching well, you're just not hitting at all. And over right. the last few games... It's pretty much been the same formula. It's been Cedric Mullins get on base, Trey Mancini drive him in, and how many times can you do that in a game? And there you go. Yeah. There's your runs. But it's also encouraging to see Anthony Santander has been playing well since coming back from the injured list. Ryan Mountcastle has been steadily improving throughout the season after struggling out of the gate. So even through the losing streak, there were encouraging signs here and there. It was obviously just frustrating not to get the results. But there are a lot of positive things that will push the Orioles forward into June. Exactly. And I feel like we've been talking a lot about 
the storylines that you just mentioned. Cedric yeah. Mullins, Trey Mancini, John Means. Yep. <laughs> uh, bullpen still in a little bit of a rut, and they'll, they'll be bolstered, I think, as they get healthier. They're going to get Hunter Harvey back, I think, at some point soon. Yep. Um, Dylan Tate obviously came off the injured, uh, injured list. That helps. Uh, Max Aroller is going to come off the injured list at some point over the coming weeks. So they, they will be bolstered by that. But we spent a lot of our last podcast talking about these topics, Brendan. It's about darn time that we talk about the minors. About darn time. Because this minor league system is through going through an incredible stretch. Yeah. One month into the season, all four teams, now they have four affiliates now, of course, after the uh, shrinkage in the offseason, 653 win percentage. Bowie, Aberdeen, and Delmarva, 55 and 18. So Norfolk is kind of skewing the win percentage in the negative way. And I think that's partly because you look at some of the, you know, top players for that Norfolk team, and it's not a lot of top prospects right now. They're still kind of working their way through the system. And and also Norfolk has been kind of just like, a, you know, a, as it always is, is going to be a, like, just stop for guys at the major league level, like Ramon Arias is get you know heads back to, back and forth. And yeah, you, not a lot of stability. There. Yeah, exactly. So you're really looking at your top prospects through Aberdeen, Delmarva, and Bowie. This doesn't happen much. Like it's it's hard to put it in context, but like 55 and 18 for a, for three teams with all of your top prospects performing well, that does not happen much. And I think it it. It's hard to properly put into context just how good the Orioles minor league affiliates have been through the first month. Yeah, and especially when you look at the Orioles, obviously all of the noise goes to those top prospects in the system. You can go down the list in the Orioles top 30. Pretty much every single one of them has been playing well. I can't think of anybody on that list that has underperformed so far. There were a few guys that got off to kind of slow starts to the season like Adley Rutschman, but he's picked it way up throughout the season, and a lot of those guys have. The only ones I can really think of are the ones who have, unfortunately, been injured. Right. So, Eusniel Diaz at the AAA level. This is also partly why Norfolk is struggling, because Diaz is injured, uh, Ryland Bannon is injured, and he struggled through the first few weeks. Jemai Jones injured as well. Jemai Jones, exactly. So, those three guys who are at the tri- AAA level, unfortunately, have hit some injuries, and, and that's the only thing that has held them back. Yeah. But other than that, every other top prospect... Uh, and, of course, Heston Kerstad, who we may or may not see at the minor league level uh, during the 2021 season. We just hope that he gets healthy. But other than that, every single guy through the top 15-20 has been excellent to start the season. Yeah. Um, should we talk about some top performers? I think we should. We've come up with a list of we top have. performers just to, to keep your eye out. On Brenda, do you want to start us off? Oh, I'd love to, Paul. All right. Uh, the first name that jumps off is obviously Adley Rutschman. We've talked a ton about Adley Rutschman, so we're not going to do that here. But I'm going to talk about Grayson Rodriguez. All right. The Orioles' number two prospect, the number 21 prospect in all of baseball, the fourth-ranked right-handed pitching prospect in all of baseball. He was absolutely dominant in Aberdeen. He goes five starts with a 1.54 ERA, 40 strikeouts in 23 and a third innings. And after those five starts, he pitches so well that he gets the bump to double-A buoy where he makes his debut last night. And what does he do? He goes five innings, four hits, just one earned run, eight strikeouts. That's his fourth straight start with at least eight strikeouts. He's currently leading all of minor league baseball at any level on swing and miss percentage. Wow. He's been unbelievable. And he makes the transition to double-A buoy last night. Doesn't skip a beat. 
He just continues his trend of strikeouts. Grayson Rodriguez has been dominant. He's hitting 100 miles an hour. He is doing everything and more that you expected out of the Orioles' second prospect. And I'm sure that, you know, he'll probably hit some snags at the AA level. It's not all going to be easy breezy. How old is he now? Grayson Rodriguez? I think he's 22. I think so, yes. Um, So still very young. He was, of course, uh, drafted out of high school. Uh, one of the final, you know, first round draft picks of the Dan. Still Duke. 21, Paul. 21. Yeah. Uh, when does he turn 22? You just closed the window. I just did. Unbelievable. Yeah. I think a few months. I think, I think during this season he turns 22. Yes. yes. Um, drafted out of high school, so he's still really young. But look, the hype is real for this kid. And I think double A buoy is probably where he's going to stick for the rest of the season. I don't think they're going to try to move him up to triple A. I would think so. But if he continues to dominate double A hitters like he has single A, which we're not anticipating, obviously you would assume that once you bump up levels, you're going to get hit at least a little bit more. Yeah. But at at least from last night, nobody was touching him. I mean, he was throwing a hundred miles an hour and basically just saying, I dare you to hit it. And nobody did except for one pitch that he missed in the first inning, but it was the first inning of his first start at a new level in the minor league system. So maybe, I doubt they're going to rush him, but if he's pitching this well in double-A throughout the season, maybe he could get a late-season call-up to triple-A and try maybe. to get one or two starts in at yeah. that level. Uh, we will not see him, I don't expect at all, in, in Baltimore this year. No. But <laughs> no. if everything goes well for him and Bowie this year, and maybe even Norfolk at the very end of the year, I expect... Uh, if everything stays on track, a 2022 call-up yes. for Grayson Rodgers. I think sometime middle of next year, we yeah. can see him in Baltimore. But again, Michael Elias is not going to rush no. these guys. So I can imagine Grayson Rodriguez, we will probably see in double-A buoy most of the year and maybe one or two starts at the end of the year at triple-A. Well, another young guy I want to talk about, Brendan, that's Gunnar Henderson. This kid. Unreal season. Unbelievable so far. Yeah. Uh, the hype was building about Gunnar Henderson before the season even started, where they were saying he's going to be the next Orioles prospect to enter the top 100 in MLB Pipeline's top 100 prospect list. He did so a couple weeks ago. He So he's now a top 100 prospect. Still 19 for Gunnar Henderson. Remember, he was, a, he was a young prep high school bat when the Orioles took him in the 2019 draft. He doesn't turn 20 until the end of this month. Uh, so far, with low A Delmarva, 22 games, 337 average, eight homers, 35 RBIs. That's a lot. 35 and 22 games, four stolen bags. He's splitting time between shortstop and third base. We don't know yet where he's going to stick long-term, but they're giving him a, a taste of both positions so far. And if you have a chance to see any of these homers that he he has hit so far, and there are a lot of, you know, definitely follow the shorebirds. They tweet them out, and sometimes MLB Pipeline tweets them out. Almost all of these have been to either dead center field or the opposite way. And that just shows you the kind of strength that this kid has. And it's funny because I remember when he came to Camden Yards back in 2019, shortly after he was drafted, just looking at how young he was, because he was 18 at the time, uh, 18 or 17 at the time. And he was young. He was thin because, you know, he's a th- he's just in, still in high school. Um, but he's a smart kid. He's got... Good head on his shoulders from everything that we've observed from our end. Um, and he's starting to build up his strength. So they clearly knew what they were doing by taking Gunnar Henderson. And he has not gotten the call up yet to Aberdeen, but I expect that to come quite soon. I think it will. And when you draft these prep shortstops, 
It's all about projectability. Where could you see him in four or five years? And it's so hard to tell with these prep shortstops, and you have to pretty much just go based on their raw potential. And with Gunnar Henderson, like you said, his bat is unbelievable. There's some questions about whether he's going to stick at shortstop, maybe shift over to third base as he starts to mature a little bit, fill out. But his bat, that's going to work him through the entirety of the minor league system, I would think, pretty quickly. Because right, it's not like he's pulling the ball. Like you said, he's hitting opposite field home runs. You have to have a lot of pop in your bat to be able to do that. Exactly. Who's your next top performer? Well, I've got another shortstop for you there, Paul. All right. And that's Jordan Westbrook. Okay. He's not a prepster like Gunnar Henderson. He was an established college bat that the Orioles took uh, with their second first-round pick. Uh, He's 22 years old. He's a little bit older, but I think he's going to work his way through the minor league system pretty quickly just because that's kind of how those college bats tend to go. Uh, He was promoted to Aberdeen just a few days ago. He made his debut on Tuesday night, hit a three-run double, uh, was one for three on the night, I believe. He was hitting 366 with nine extra base hits in 20 games with Delmarva, so well worthy of the promotion. A lot of people thought that Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg might get promoted around the same time just because the Orioles want to see how they operate together on the left side of that infield. Like I said, Westberg, kind of similar to Henderson, is a shortstop right now, but he's a little bigger, so he could also move over to third base. But he's been hitting exceptionally well. His bat from college at Mississippi State has just really translated into the minors really, really well so far. Yeah, I mean, he was a great... You talk about him uh, on the left side of that infield. When he was at Mississippi State, he was part of the best double play tandem in college baseball at one point. Um, So, you know, that defense is definitely going to be good. And then you you also think about, though, it's difficult these decisions almost when you you talk about four minor league affiliates so less than the the Orioles have had in years past so it's difficult to fit all these guys so maybe you know not that some guys would be kept down because of it but they also have to think about the roster machinations here you still have at Aberdeen you still have AJ Graffinino at at shortstop you still have some prospects there so you can't it's difficult to move both Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg up and not displace somebody. Right. So maybe that's the reason. And, and also you mentioned the fact that uh, Westberg, you know, was a college bat. Gunnar Henderson was a high school bat. So, you know, he's a little bit on the younger side. You want to get that college guy up sooner rather than later. He's going to get the, you know, the nod if you have to pick between the two. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Jordan Westberg in college, the double play combination there with uh, teammate Justin Foscue, who is the first round pick, I believe, of the Rangers. But yeah, with Jordan Westberg, like I said, he's 22 years old, so you want to move him up as quickly as you can. He gets the call up to Aberdeen as pretty much as Joey Ortiz gets promoted from Aberdeen. So I wouldn't be surprised if Westberg and A.J. Graffinino maybe switch off a little bit between when they're playing shortstop and third base because I would imagine that you want to get both of them reps at shortstop. We're not going to hit too much on A.J. Graffinino, but he's just outside of the Orioles' top 30 prospects. So that's still somebody that you want to develop as well. But I would think that Westberg would be the priority to get him reps at shortstop. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I'm going to switch over to a pitcher here, Brendan. All right. I'm going to talk about somebody at the double-A level. It's going to be, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Dia Hall. I've never heard of him. Yeah, top yeah. prospect. Uh, best left-handed pitching prospect in the Orioles system, and I, if it weren't for Grayson Rodriguez, he would be the best pitching prospect in the Orioles system. He's been absolutely dominant. Uh, another guy who, of course, was, I think he was, he wasn't the last, but he was the second to last 
first round pick by Dan Duquette. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he was a high school pitcher when he came out. Um, he's 22, doesn't turn 23 until September. The big thing for D.L. Hall coming into this year was controlling the walks because at high A Frederick last year, he the walks were a little bit out of control, 5.9 uh, for every nine innings. That's just a little bit on the high side, and that's what led to his ERA being perhaps a tiny bit inflated up over 330, which is, you know, still not bad. Yeah. But this year, he has controlled the walks. It's gone down to 4.7 per nine. Uh, that's a little bit better. His another guy who can hit triple digits on the radar gun with his fastball. Uh, the gap between him and Grayson Rodriguez, you know, obviously Gray Rod is ahead of him, but the gap between them is is minuscule. Yeah, I mean, the, both of these guys have been absolutely outstanding, and I think DL Hall, obviously, still on the young side with at twenty two, but. I could see him ending up at Norfolk by the end of the season, too. Yeah, I think he, he has the potential to do that. And like you said, really, the only thing that's separating D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez at this point is that Rodriguez just has better command of his arsenal right now. D.L. Hall, you mentioned that the walks have gotten better. They're still not great. When you're walking over four guys, per, I believe over four and a half. Yeah, 4.7. That's still not great. And that's obviously something that he's going to need to work on as he goes throughout the minor league system. But the stuff is there. The stuff you can't. Yeah. You there's no doubting the stuff that he has. So if he's able to continue to grow that command and, and well, for lack of a better phrase, get more command of it, he will. I think move pretty quickly throughout the minor leagues, and I think we'll see that gap between him and Grayson Rodriguez continue to shrink. Yeah, unless Gray Rod blows through Double A, and yeah, which, which it's looking like he could very well could. Yeah. Uh, but the strikeouts, you mentioned the stuff, that has led to an unbelievably high number of strikeouts. 39 Ks through his first five starts. Whew. That's 16.7 Ks per nine. Yeah. Don't think that's sustainable, but I do think that's incredible. Yeah. Well, Grayson Rodriguez right there, too, in, in high A, he had 40 strikeouts through his first five games. So I guess they're just competing with each no other. No big deal. Yeah. Um, all right. Who you got next? Taron Vavra All right. is who I got next. The Bowie Bay Sox have been mashing the baseball, and Taron Vavra has been their leadoff hitter for the season. At one point on a road stand, he was 0 for 23, and his average was still 290 with an OPS of about 950. That's how good he was at the beginning of the season. He was up over a 400 average through his first 10 games of the year, and he was lighting the world on fire. And even after that slump, he has still been fantastic at the top of the lineup. He's hitting over 270. That OPS still over 900. And the exciting thing about Vavra, he's a little bit older. He's just 24 years old, just turned 24 a few weeks ago. You get him over in that Michael Givens trade. I think he has a chance to work his way through the system pretty quickly. He has fantastic plate discipline. He walks a lot. He kind of has a Cedric Mullins-esque swing from the left-handed side where it's short, it's compact, and he makes a lot of good contact. Even when he's not necessarily getting base hits, he's always pretty consistently making good contact. And he plays all over the diamond. He can play second base, shortstop, center field. I think as he moves up, we'll probably see him more at second base because it's really just Vavra and Adam Hall at this point that the Orioles have in their system that are good promising second basemen, depending on where you want to put Jemai Jones and Ryland Bannon. So I think Vavra has a chance to move up pretty quickly, and that versatility is going to help. And you talk about position crunches at the minor league level. They've had to use Adam Hall in the outfield in Aberdeen. Yeah. One, because they think he can play it, but also, too, because they have so 
little room in the infield right. for him to try out. They're, they're working him in there, but it, it just shows just how loaded these teams are at this point. Yeah, Vavra comes from a baseball family. His dad uh, was a player. Uh, his brothers, I believe, were players as well. Um, he he always hit at the minor league level. Um, and, you know, part of it, he was with the Asheville Tourists, and they have like a high-altitude uh, ballpark down in Asheville. We're using the Coors Field argument for Taron Vavra well, here. Well, that's, yeah. you know, uh, there are always... Uh, inflated statistics right. when you look at Asheville right. numbers. Uh, they have like a bigger ballpark because of it. So, you know, maybe there was some hesitancy when you look at the 300 plus average that he had with Asheville last year, right. but the guy can hit. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, his, he just has an eye for the baseball. I think, you know, he, during the shutdown helped start with his brothers, like a, a baseball clinic. Mm-hmm. So the, the guy just know has good fundamentals in his swing got a great hit tools so i think that this guy's going to be fine i think really no matter where you know he's never going to have great power just because of his size but i think that you talk about like throwback players and i think it's an overrated thing but you do need guys in your lineup that can just hit that are not focused so much on driving the ball out of the ballpark but can get on base for you yeah um and i think that wherever he's going to be i think that he's going to be that and i i just i can't imagine his swing not translating yeah. When he gets up to the higher levels. Now, like I said, I think it's a pretty similar swing to Cedric Mullins. Cedric mm-hmm. Mullins isn't going to hit 20 yeah. home runs, but he's going to make good contact and he's going to be a valuable piece at the top of the lineup. And I think Vavra, ideally down the line, could be a similar way. He's yeah. either going to hit you know, one or two in the lineup or he's going to hit seven, eight, nine, but he's going to get on base for you. Exactly. All right. Switching over to an outfielder here. I'm going to go with Johnny Reiser. All Another right. guy who is rising up the system. That's a good one there, Paul. Off the top of my head. Johnny Reiser, another draft pick from that 2019 draft class. Uh, so the first under Mike Elias. He was a seventh rounder when he was taken. He's 24 years old. He probably is a corner outfielder at this point, but can play center. They've used him in four games uh, at the Aberdeen level before he was bumped up. Um, so I guess, I, I you know, I, I don't know exactly how good he is defensively in center, but... They're giving him a shot to at least try it, um, considering he's you know he's a little bit of a bigger guy, more of a power guy, so that would profile typically as a corner outfielder. But in those 15 games with Aberdeen, hit 288, three homers, six doubles, gets the call up to Bowie. He's already got a couple hits in a couple games at the Bowie level. Um, 24, as I mentioned, so he was a, a college bat, a little bit older. He's going to be good. I, I think yeah. that he's going to be a solid performer. Obviously, he's not one of the top 30 prospects, so he doesn't quite have the ceiling, at least from scouts' perspectives. But you do need other guys that aren't in that top 30 to be able to perform for you. Trey Mancini was never really in a top 30. John Means, we've said it, barely in top 30s. So maybe Johnny Reiser just continues to produce at various levels, gets promoted higher and higher through the organization. Right, and even if you don't profile him as one of your starters over the next few years because you have so many good outfield projects, prospects between Mullins, Austin Hayes, Santander, and then of course you've got Yusniel Diaz, Heston Kerstad, all of those outfielders are going to come up. But if Johnny Reiser continues to play well, you could certainly see him as maybe a fourth or fifth outfielder, just a rotational guy that would contribute at the major league level in some way. And the injury to Yusniel Diaz, obviously unfortunate, but it could open the door maybe if Johnny Reiser hits at the double-A level. Right. Could get promoted to triple-A, could see some time there. You never know. the pressure is certainly on at the major league level, yes. though, for the you know for DJ Stewart, for Austin Hayes, who has to stay healthy, of course. Um, but 
those guys are going to be coming up at some point soon. Yeah. All right. Who's your next one, Brennan? My next one, I got another outfielder for you. This one is in the top 30 prospects, and it's Hudson Haskin. All right. Recent second-round pick out of Tulane, 22 years old, was another good college bat. He's the Orioles' 14th-ranked prospect. He's got a really weird swing. A lot of people liken it to kind of Hunter Pence, where you don't really know how it's going to translate to the minor league levels and especially the major league levels. But it's certainly working for him so far. He's hitting over 350. He's got an on-base percentage over 450. And his speed is really the thing that sets him apart. He's a pretty good defender in the outfield. I think he will probably profile as a center fielder because he has that good speed. But of course, you could always put him in left field or right field, kind of similar to Austin Hayes in that sense. Uh, but he's also fantastic on the base paths. He's got 11 stolen bases in 20 games. And like I said, he's getting on base a ton. He's got 10 walks to go along with that over 350 average. And he's, he's not a power hitter, but he's got gap power. He's got three doubles and two home runs so far on the year. So he's not going to hit a ton of home runs, but he's got good pop in the bat, and he's certainly a threat on the base paths. Absolutely. By the way, we're getting some comments as well about some other top performers. We're not going to be able to mention everybody just because of time constraints, Yeah. but people are talking a lot about J.D. Mundry, who has been excellent as well. He started out at Delmarva, hit 324, then got promoted to Aberdeen, where he's got two games. Patrick Dorian, we're going to talk to Paul Fritchner with the Bowie Bay Sox in just a little bit. He talks about Patrick Dorian as well. So these guys will get their time. Don't yes. worry. Um, one final guy I want to mention. I'm glad you talked about Hudson Haskin. Weird swing also. Really Still, weird. You, you mentioned yeah. it, but you know, if you haven't seen this guy swing yet, Whew. it's pretty funny. But he, he gets results. Um, one final guy, Kyle Bradish, 24 years old, came over in the Dylan Bundy trade. Excellent. Did not allow a run with double a buoy and three starts it was his the first exposure to double a he had ever had yeah and his lights out strikes out let me see uh 26 in three starts that's pretty good 26 k's to seven hits it's a yeah. little ridiculous a little so bit they said yeah yeah we think you're we think you're past this so they moved him on up to triple a um and he's already with uh norfolk and is has a 324 era through his first couple starts so he will get some seasoning at AAA, maybe even get the call up, considering how early he got to Bowie, or to Norfolk, rather. Maybe get the call up during the 2021 season. Good. Uh, Bradish is another one of these exciting young pitchers who is in the Orioles' top 15 in their farm system. Yeah, we started talking about Bradish more in the offseason because we would come on and we would talk about how guys like Zach Lowther and Mike Bauman can make an impact on, at the major league level. And everybody in our Facebook and YouTube comments was saying, well, don't forget about Kyle Bradish. And it's a good thing we didn't because he is pitching, like you said, amazingly so far in the minor league level. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see him at the majors at some point this year. Yeah, Another, absolutely. One more quick guy that I want to touch on here, Paul. Please do. Uh, Joey Ortiz. Yes. Just squeaks into the top 30 of the Orioles' top 30 prospects. Soon to be 23 years old. He's a shortstop, but he can also... Uh, we saw him at third base pretty often in Aberdeen. He's got a bit of an uphill battle through the Orioles' system. We know there are a lot of good sh shortstops and third base prospects there, but he's hitting well, hitting almost 290 in Aberdeen with an 815 OPS, and then just got the call up to Bowie, so we'll see how he plays there at the AA level. Absolutely. So those are just some of the, the top prospects who are performing incredibly well in this Orioles' system. That's not everybody, and we certainly encourage you, if you haven't had a chance yet to see any of these teams play, you ought to do it at yeah. some point soon because they have been very, very fun. And as frustrating as it has been to watch over the past 
three or so weeks, the major league team, the minor league teams have been that much fun yeah. to watch. Um, so those are some of them. We talked a little bit more about some of those top prospects and the, the guys that are down at the AA level, level with Bowie, uh, and that is Paul Fritchner of the Bowie Bay Sox who joined us. So here's our conversation. Now we're joined on the Mass and All Access podcast by Paul Fritchner, along with Adam Pohl. He is one of the voices of the Bowie Bay Sox. Paul, thanks so much for hopping on. Great to have another Paul on the pod. Yeah, really. I, I feel like you don't run into too many Pauls. And no. in fact, our, our MC here at Prince George's Stadium is named Paul. You're named Paul. So I guess throughout the Orioles organization, there are a few Pauls sprinkled in there. I like it. I like it. There How are. You, doing? you got Paul Fry at the, the major league level, too. Um, exactly. You know? and yeah. And then the only thing Brand- Brendan has is his connection to Brandon Hyde. But that's, you know, it's a couple letters <laughs> off. It's a little loose. It's a little loose. Yeah. I just want to make him feel excluded here. All yeah, right. Thank you. Uh, Paul, we got to start by talking about the best team in minor league baseball, as you guys have uh, copyrighted, apparently, according to your Twitter account. Um, and let's start with the guy who was on the mound yesterday, Grayson Rodriguez, because his first double A start feels like it could not have gone any better. What did you see from this incredible young pitcher on the mound yesterday? Well, first of all, going back to your best team in minor league baseball comment, we were talking about it in the office yesterday, and I made the comment that the Bay Sox were tied with the Nashville Sounds because the Sounds have both, you know, the Bay Sox have five losses, the Sounds have five losses, but I said, you know, if the Bay Sox finish tonight and tomorrow, which would have been last night and the night before, if they finish those games before Nashville does, then they're tied with the same record, have a better run differential. So let's put that one out there. And last night, you know, Nashville, you should have won quicker. So for the <laughs> the hour that it applied, you know, they we were. But Nashville now on a 14-game winning streak. So they've won 20 games. Wow. Incredible what they're doing. Uh, but, yes, Bowie is is killing it right now. And, and to say the least, all the way around, the offense is going really well. And last night, like you mentioned, Grayson Rodriguez, he took a little bit to settle in in the first inning. He allowed a single, uh, a run, a double in the first inning. But then out of that first inning, the first batter uh, of the second inning blows a 100-mile-an-hour fastball right by Manny Melendez, a swing and a miss. And you could tell from there – he was just locked in, right? His breaking ball that he didn't really have on that on that slider in the first inning was just completely different. He looked like a totally different pitcher between the first inning and the second inning. And then he was that same pitcher from the second inning through the end of his outing. He went five full innings, just four hits, one run, two walks, and eight strikeouts. He threw 71 pitches, so he kept that pretty uh, economical, too. They've been targeting like that 75 range. And for all these wins, for the 19 wins, the starting pitchers aren't getting a ton of wins because they aren't completing five innings. So it's it's been a little rare. I don't have the official stat in front of me, but I, I would say that the, the number is pretty low of the amount of, um, you know, wins that the starting pitchers are getting but Grayson last night able to do that that's his fourth straight start with a win going back to his last three starts with Aberdeen after he took a no decision in his first two outings of the year so Grayson real I mean just dramatically different in between the first and second innings and I mean come on we're not going to knock him for his first inning in double a baseball right took a few pitches to settle in and then he went strikeout line out strikeout he went 
all three outs in the third inning were strikeouts. Two of his three outs in the fourth inning were strikeouts. He, like I mentioned, he had that breaking ball working, the fastball. The, it, it was one of those things where he was just throwing 100, and it was like, here it is, try and hit it. And they couldn't, <laughs> right? I mean, it was just dominant. You could tell that once he settled in, he wasn't being overmatched. He uh, allowed a double in the third inning, but he worked around it. Uh, a single in the fourth inning with two outs, but – didn't get past first base. So he, he really settled into a groove and pitched well. And you can see immediately why Orioles fans, Bay Sox fans, everybody's so excited to have this guy quickly moving up the ranks. Now, Paul, we can't talk about the Bay Sox without talking about Adley Rutschman, the number two prospect in all of baseball. Fans see the stats, they see the highlights, but what's some insight you can give us from seeing him play every day? Yeah, you know, the first two weeks of the season, you could tell Adley was adjusting a little bit to double-A pitching. And since then, since those first two series, he's really settled in and he's brought the average up, which is, I think, something a lot of people are going to be really excited to see. In that last series, uh, last week against Harrisburg, he entered with a 211 batting average, right? And you know, you know he can hit for power. You know when he gets a hold of a baseball, when he barrels one up, that he can hit it. 440 plus feet like we've seen this year but can he go out there and hit for average can he you know cut down on the strikeouts well he's done that in a big big way he's he has made drastic improvements in just the first now four and a half weeks of the season we're on series number five now and you can tell what he's doing he's not getting a lot of looks from the right side of the plate he's mostly hitting as a left-handed hitter, so that's the majority of the looks that we're getting. But he raised his batting average in that series from 211 to 293 because of what he did against Harrisburg. On Sunday, he had seven runs driven in, along with his Oregon State teammate, Kaden Grenier. They also uh, they combined for 14 runs driven in on Sunday's uh, in Sunday's doubleheader, 14 of the 15 runs. Rutschman has just been the, the power, the swing for power, is what's going to get everybody excited. But now that he's really starting to hit the ball to all fields, he's hitting singles too. He's not just, you know, hitting doubles off the wall, which I mean, even on, on Sunday, you could see the the balls that weren't getting out. He hit one probably 400 feet to straightaway center. And if he'd have hit it 406, it would have gone over the fence. So this, this power that you see out of Adley Rutschman is, is something that's, like I said, it's going to get everybody excited. But now that he's starting to really make solid contact, He's not striking out as much as he was in the first two weeks of the year. I mean, he went 0 for 4 in the first game of this series up in Hartford, but he still, he walked. He didn't have a strikeout. And guys, listen to this stat. Rutschman, in the first 24 games of the season, has walked 23 times. That is just insane. He gets on base. It's like the Moneyball scene, right? What does he do? He gets on base. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, he... Clearly, when you have a guy who's the number two prospect in baseball, I think that some pitchers are going to probably pitch around that guy when they know that what he can do. Um, but it is incredible. His plate discipline has been remarkable to watch, at least from our end. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's that is to me what has been the most impressive thing about him is that he's not getting frustrated when he's not getting pitches to hit. And we talk about that a lot on the broadcast, Adam and I do that. You'll see him. I mean, this sounds ridiculous to say, but it's true. We've seen him do it multiple times this year where he takes three walks in a game. The pitchers don't want anything to do with him. And his plate discipline, 
between the first plate appearance when he walks and the third plate appearance when he walks is unchanged, which is huge for a hitter at the double A level. Because if you get up there and you've seen, you know, 12 pitches out of the zone on that 12th pitch, maybe you're just frustrated because you've been sitting there for three hours and you want to hit the baseball, but he's not chasing at the pitcher's pitch. He wants the hitter's pitch. And when he gets it, he makes the most of it and does damage with it. Because if he starts chasing those pitches that are two, three, four inches off the plate that are balls, but they're close, then the hitters, uh, the pitchers, excuse me, they know that they can get him to chase a little bit and maybe start swinging and, and getting him off balance. But instead, he's saying, look, if the ball is not right where I want it, if it's not a strike, I'm not swinging. And that's what the 23 walks on the season will tell you. And and that slow start at double A should not have concerned anybody when they look back to 2019 when he made his debut with the Aberdeen Ironbirds when they were the short season affiliate. And his first game there goes 0 for 5, strikes out a couple times, takes a couple weeks to get his feet wet, and then all of a sudden he's mashing the baseball and he moves up to Delmarva. So he is he learned so quickly, it, it feels like, and he is on a fast track, at least to the bigs at this point. Uh, one guy who doesn't draw nearly as much attention as Adley Rutschman, but was taken in the same draft class as Adley Rutschman, Joey Ortiz, who just joined you recently, so I know you haven't had an opportunity to watch him too much, but what have you seen from this uh, infielder who has still has a great potential, is one of the Orioles' top 30 prospects, but does not get nearly as much attention as some of the other guys who are in the, his draft class? Well, Paul, you talk about adjusting to the double-A level, right? Joey Ortiz comes up for Sunday's doubleheader, and he reaches base all four times in his first game with the Bay Sox. He walks, he walks again, he reaches on an error, and then he doubles. Four for four in getting on base in the first game of the doubleheader. And then what's he do in the second game? He reaches, and then he singles and scores two plate appearances later. Then the next night, after the night off, it's a home run. I mean, the guy comes up and makes noise immediately. And we've only seen him play in four games, but already in 14 at-bats, he has five hits. He has nine total bases, a double, a home run. He's driven in two runs. He's walked twice. He's only struck out once. Ortiz right now, and, and he was a designated hitter last night. Um, or excuse me, he played shortstop last night. It was a DH two nights ago. But playing the middle infield with Caden Grenier, you could see... There was, there was a play on Sunday at short in shallow left field where he got turned around on a ball that was back over his shoulder, and he didn't make the play because he was running out into, the, into shallow left field, but he went full extension for a ball that he had no business even being anywhere near, and it went off the heel of his glove, and you might be asking, well, okay, he didn't make the play. Why are you talking about it? But the way I was broadcasting the play, I thought for sure it was just going to be a bloop single into left field, and it was going to be an easy base hit for Harrisburg. But instead, Ortiz goes out there, puts his glove up in the air, parallel to the ground, and almost makes the play. It was incredible to even see that kind of athleticism out there. And him and Grenier in the middle infield can be really dangerous for this Bay Sox team. And like I said, between him, you know, Johnny Riser coming up, he's made a lot of noise in his first couple of games at double A. All of these guys, Ortiz, Riser, Grayson Rodriguez, anybody, you name it, getting promoted from Aberdeen up to Bowie. It seems like they're just 
going right into the fold and there's no step back. There's no adjustment. I mean, it's just like these guys are, are, are picking up where they left off. You know, there, there, there might be a little bit, you know, like I mentioned where, you know, maybe cutting down on strikeouts or something like that. But my goodness, these guys right now are just flying through the levels of the organization. Yeah, well, the Bay Sox lineup has been fantastic. And right at the top of that lineup is Taron Vavra. He has fantastic plate discipline. He's been hitting really well. What has impressed you so far about Vavra? And is he a guy that Orioles fans should be talking about a little more? Yeah, you know, so so Vavra has a 286 average uh, in 77 at-bats. He has 22 hits, four doubles, and three home runs. And the thing that's been really nice to see out of Vavra is he had a really tough series in Richmond, right? I, I think it was an 0 for 23 stretch out of Vavra. And you could tell he, he just looked a little lost at the plate after he set the world on fire in the first two or three weeks. And he comes back from Richmond and he comes in here to, to the end of the Harrisburg series and in Hartford. And at the top of the lineup, you know, he has a triple, which we don't see the Bay Sox hit too many triples this year. The Bay Sox had back-to-back triples the other day. Vavra breaking out of that stretch with a triple. His ability to make contact with the baseball and set the table for the top of the lineup has been key. It's been a huge reason with Vavra, then Rutschman, and then how well Patrick Dorian and J.C. Escar are hitting in that three and four spot in the Bay Sox lineup. That's the reason the Bay Sox are winning a lot of games because Vavra and Rutschman are getting on base. I mean, those guys know how to do it. Vavra is getting on base at a 433 clip. 433 <laughs> on base percentage, and Rutschman is at 445. <laughs> those two guys at the top of the lineup, look at those numbers, right? That's incredible. Yeah. And those two guys right at the top, Vavra especially, to get on base in front of Rutschman too, because you, you can look at all the walks that Rutschman has and say, okay, now Dorian and Ascara have to hit. But if Vavra gets on base for Rutschman to hit a home run, then we're talking about multiple runs in in a situation where the Bay Sox might need it. So what Vavra can do there, batting from the left side too, this is a lefty heavy um, Bay Sox lineup going all the way down the list, you know, looking at Vavra, Rutschman's a switch hitter, Patrick Dorian, J.C. Ascara, Robert Newstrom's a lefty. A lot of lefties in this lineup. And Vavra, a very solid I – mean, he moves up to the uh, into the top 10 uh, of second baseman in MLB uh, in their pipeline rankings because Jonathan India with the Reds just graduated. You can see what he's – and the other thing, too, is that in the field, he's been able to switch between the middle infield – and center field too. So when they want to keep his bat in the lineup, they've put him out in center field for a few games. So he's been a little versatile there. I'm sure they'll keep him as he progresses up through the levels of the minor leagues. They'll probably keep him at second base, but nice to see that he has some versatility there too. Absolutely. Well, we talked a lot about hitters, talked about Grayson Rodriguez at the beginning, but the pitchers have been just as impressive for the Bowie Bay Sox. Kevin Smith has been excellent ERA just over one one guy that already graduated past you went on to Norfolk, so you didn't get a great look at him, but Kyle Bradish, how excellent was this guy? Did not allow a run in the three starts that he pitched at the AA level. Well, you know, a 1-0 record 
with a zero ERA, <laughs> you don't really get much better than that. And really the only reason he didn't finish with a 3-0 record, like I was talking about before, is that our starting pitchers haven't gone the full five innings to earn the wins too too frequently. But Bradish finished with a 1-0 record. You know, he makes three starts. He goes 13 and two-thirds innings. He only allowed seven hits, and he only walked five batters, <laughs> and he struck out 26. It's just ridiculous. Like, we're talking about it you know, Braddish, and then you go to Kevin Smith, you go to Grayson Rodriguez, you know, go to D.L. Hall. This pitching staff is out of this world. They struck out, in the last two nights, they've struck out 33 batters. Incredible. It's crazy. But but Braddish had the breaking ball, too, was I think the pitch that really set him up for success. He had this big, looping curveball, and he was throwing it for strikes a lot. And the hitters knew that, you know, when it's dropping in there for a strike, even if they take the pitch, they're going to be set down. So they're going to have to swing, and they weren't making a lot of contact, as you can tell, from just seven hits. Opponents were only hitting 149 against him. So that's the se- that's the second best, uh, or really it is the best, among qualified pitchers uh, on the Bay Sox staff. So Braddish just had everything going. Not a huge surprise to me that he got called up. Maybe a little bit of a surprise that it was only after three starts, but he was no match. Um, I mean, the uh, the other teams were just no match for for him uh, through his first three starts. He gets the call up. You love to see it. Seems like he's done fairly well at Norfolk so far, um, trying to make that adjustment to the AAA level. So between the breaking ball and the fastball to setting those pitches up together. I thought Adley Rutschman did a really good job behind the plate. Chris Hudgens too. those guys switching off, but Adley Rutschman catching him um, to set him up to sequence his pitches really well. I think that's something a little maybe underrated that Adley does is, is his ability to defend as a catcher and, and sequence games and, and call his pitches. And he set Bradish up. Uh, spectacularly uh, to be able to have that success that he had to set him up for Norfolk. So Paul, you're new to calling Bay Sox games. What are your first impressions of the team and the players that you've seen come through there so far? Oh, well, you know, I I was talking to Adam the other day and I said, I picked a really good season, I guess, to join the Bay Sox, right? Yeah. The probably the best season other than maybe the time they won the Eastern league championship. (laughs) Yeah, you but know, they have a chance it, it, to do it this year. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there was a better season to pick to just join in on on my first season here with the staff. But the team has been so fun, and you can tell that they're playing together. Buck Britton, the manager, has been great to be able to to keep this unit. Talk, think about all the guys that this coaching staff um, is working with right now, all of these prospects and having to, to manage everybody and make sure everybody gets the right amount of playing time and gets the right amount of reps and gets the right amount of looks to be able to improve to the triple a level, the major league level, whatever it may be, but they're doing that. They're managing the lineup. Well, everybody is hitting and setting each other up for success. Guys are getting on base to set other players up for uh, RBIs. It is just, it's so fun to go out every night and call a game where like last night Hartford scores first. And I I don't have it in front of me, but Hartford scores first. And then you're just thinking to yourself, okay, well, this is no problem, right? They're going to, who's going to win this game. (laughs) And sure enough, they come back, they score two runs in the next inning 
and then nobody scores the rest of the game. They win two to one. Bowie this year has scored four or more runs in the game all but three times on the season. Wow. All but three games, they've scored four or more runs. That's and in incredible. the three game in the three games that they haven't, they're three and zero. That's incredible. And all and all three games that they haven't scored four runs, they've won two to one. So you you look, you can win big, which they do frequently, or you can win because your pitching staff, like last night, Grayson Rodriguez turns the ball over to Kevin Smith, who throws four innings and gets the save. What are you supposed to do with that, right? <laughs> if you're Hartford, what are you supposed to do? You, you have a guy in Kevin Smith now who enters the game with a 1.06 ERA, and then after last night's outing, it's down to like 0.8-something, uh, 0.8-something, <laughs> 0.86. So it's so fun to watch this team the last three Sundays have been extra inning wins. Richmond, uh, Redding, and then Harrisburg this past Sunday. They've won games in extra innings on all three Sundays. And they like the game against Richmond, where they're down to their final out, and Adley hits a ball 400-plus feet out to right center field, just totally kills it. I think it was 445 feet. Just no doubt off the bat, he ties the game. Bay Sox win in extra innings. It's just you feel like every time this team goes out to play, the pitching staff will set the offense up well enough to win the game. And then I think the biggest question mark we had coming into the season was, would the offense get it done, right? We knew the pitching staff was going to be good. There was no doubt in Adam and I's mind that the pitching staff was going to be good. We all knew that. But was the lineup going to produce in the ways that it needed to to be able to win games consistently. Well, what have they done? They've gone out and scored the most runs in the AA Northeast League. They are just lighting the world on fire. This team has taken 121 walks. That's crazy. That's second, that's second in all of AA baseball. And I mentioned the runs that they've scored. That's not only the most runs in the AA Northeast League. That is one of the most runs scored in all of AA baseball. In fact, the most runs scored in all of double-A baseball at 148. So this team's not just beating the league. They're beating everybody, <laughs> even though they're not playing everybody. And I can't I, – I, I know that a lot of times when you look at minor league baseball, right, you want to look at the prospects. You want to look at how each individual player is doing. But the team is on the road right now for two weeks, and I am so excited – to see what the fan reaction is like when this team gets home because the right now we're in the midst of a, a stretch of games where you're playing Harrisburg, who's in last place in the Southwest Division, and then you're playing Hartford and Binghamton. Those three teams have combined for almost the same number of – I think it's 18 and 19. They've combined – I don't know what they did last night, but last night it was 18 wins – and the Bay Sox had 18 wins on their own. So Bowie is in a, in a stretch of games right now there where they have a real chance to stack wins and come home on June 15th to a great crowd that will see D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, maybe Kevin Smith if he's not called up by then in the rotation. And, uh, I mean, and Ophelki Peralta too. It's like, it's like my mind thinks so <laughs> fast that you don't want to forget some of these guys. Ophelki pitching tonight. You don't want to forget some of these guys, but 
everybody playing so well and picking each other up. Yeah, it's awesome to see. And I'm glad you gave a shout out to Patrick Dorian and a JC Ascara because it's not just the top prospects that are producing for you guys. It's it's everybody else. And that's what you you love about minor league baseball. It's what you love about this Bowie Bay Sox team. And Paul, I got to say, so far, you have been an awesome addition to that team. And I'm just glad that somebody is there to knock down Adam Pold's ego in the booth because <laughs> it can get too big. That can be, you know, hard to contain up there in that press box. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for hopping on the podcast and talking Bowie Bay Sox. And we can't wait till the team comes home. We'll make another trip down to Bowie for sure soon. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, Adam, uh, I try to keep Adam in check, but I'm not good. sure if I do a very good job. <laughs> it's of that. hard. It's hard. You, you, yeah, it's going to take a while. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. But he does. He's he's been phenomenal with me. I mean, he's been absolutely fantastic. He's a phenomenal broadcaster. He's helped me a ton already. I'm learning so much. I'm happy to be here. I'm just thrilled to be able to meet guys like you and and talk to everybody else. It's been so fun. And like I mentioned, June 15th, the team comes home. Can't wait to see everybody here at Prince George's Stadium. Absolutely. If you're in the area, make sure you head down to Bowie. Got to go see those Bowie Bay Sox yeah. if you haven't already. Uh, Paul Fritchner. Thanks again for hopping on the podcast. We really appreciate it. And that does it for the Mass and All Access podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you as always. Appreciate you listening. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we'll see you next time.